thank you for choosing to listen to the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast in a really amazing selection of other podcasts indicative of the recruitment market and the business market for whatever reason you're listening now. We just want to say thank you for choosing us. We couldn't do this without our sponsor and our partners. We're going to talk about them a little bit later on in the show, but thank you to Pager, our sponsors, and our partners, Inclusion Crowd and Needy. And without further ado, let's jump in to get to know this week's guest. Well, this is an episode to be all episodes. This is the first time that I'm aware of that a Rectorec that runs a podcast has on more than one other Rectorec that also runs their podcast. I'm already confusing you, I can tell. Joining me this week in a Rectorec special is the founder and owner of Chime Search, Susanna Gray-Jones, and she's also the host of The Counter Offer. And we are also joined by Callum McPhilbin, who is the recruitment consultant at Hire Group and also the host of Humble Billings. Now, I've actually been on both of their podcasts and during the interviews that I had with them, we mused that maybe it'd be nice for them to come on my show at some point. So I decided to bring them on together. And the dynamic is absolutely phenomenal. Believe it or not, we don't actually talk over each other, but you'll have to stay tuned for that. Goodness me, we start with their journeys into recruitment. We talk around their advice for focusing on a vertical market. We talk about which markets you should focus on for this year and next year. We talk about advice for trainees. What would, what are their top tips? We talk about the behaviours that we should be looking for when we're hiring recruiters. We talk about which areas we think are really not great to focus on going forward. Gosh, we talk about what they've learned from their podcast guests. We talk about advice for those who are considering shifting sectors and maybe moving into a different market. And then we talk about rec to rec, whether it is actually the hardest recruitment job of all. So stay tuned. You are in for an absolute treat. It's an extra long episode. So please, please listen to the end. I promise you it'll be worth it. So without further ado, let's jump in. We are so proud at the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast to be sponsored by Pager. Pager helps recruiters to build personal brands, to identify new business opportunities, to attract those hard-to-find candidates, and to basically have better conversations. Now, you will have a large network that you want to build credibility with on LinkedIn, and sometimes posting content every day feels impossible. Now, that changes once you have Pager. Pager provides you with the ideas, the content, and the scheduling capability for, to produce daily content to build out your own personal brand in minutes. And for business development too. Pager identifies companies that are advertising jobs, have key hiring indicators such as funding rounds, mergers, acquisitions, or senior appointments, and then alerts you to this daily. Pager also enables you to write candidate-centric job adverts without bias in seconds. So once you advertise your job, Pager will then automatically create a branded post and publish it to LinkedIn without you even having to lift a finger. So when you want to actively source candidates, you can create complex Boolean strings in seconds. All you need to do is to provide the job title and location. 
Now, Pager is making thousands and thousands of recruiters smarter and faster. For more information, click on the link pager.co to book your demo. And remember to mention the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast when inquiring. Now, back to the episode. <laughs> this is Leisha Holmes, and I'm your host on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. And boy, are we in for a treat today, because for the first time ever, I think, I mean, I'm sure there'll be somebody that will go and find out that I've, I've got that wrong. We are about to have the first ever Rectorec collaboration on a podcast here in, well, I'm recording here in the UK, but it's actually an international Rectorec podcast as well. So I'm so excited. It's going to be a slightly longer episode than you would normally expect from the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. But I think when you look at all the things we're going to be talking about today, there's just so many topics we need to cover. And we often say that Rectorec is kind of the dark art of recruitment. So we're going to lift the lid. We're going to reveal our secrets. And I'm so excited to welcome actually two fellow podcast hosts and two very, very dear people to me, I have to say, for very different reasons. But that will all become apparent as well. So without further ado, and in no particular order, I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Susanna Gray-Jones and Callum McFulbin. Welcome to you today, guys. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And you could Hey, Cal. yeah, absolute pleasure. <laughs> absolute pleasure as always. <laughs> that was very chivalric of you. So in, in, in that order, without further ado, Susanna, would you like to explain who you are and what you do? Of course. Well, what a lot of people might not know who are listening to this is that I'm a, I've always been a little secret fan um, of this podcast and I've been secretly trying to get on this podcast for a long time. So I'm chuffed to be here, literally. I'm a big fan of you, um, Leisha, and you know everything that you do. Um, and yeah, I'm from a recruitment background, worked in education recruitment 13 years, worked my way up. Um, did the slog and then started my own business just after COVID a couple of years ago. Um, and I just love recruitment. Um, and I think it's such a, an honor to be able to do what I do. So, yeah. Love it. And I love the girl fan element as well. But, you know, joking aside, Chime Search was launched in COVID. Do you know, I actually didn't know that part. So that's really cool. We'll definitely come back to that then. And your podcast is called? The Counter Offer. The Counter Offer. So. Yes, we. I did do did come in your episode. Well, thank you for that. So, Cal, tell us all about who you are and what you do. Um. Okay. So, my name is Colin McPhilbin. Uh, I am a rectorette, just like you two lovely ladies. Uh, been in recruitment now for two years. Um. Somewhat fell into it, like like everyone sort of says. Uh. Obviously, work at Higher Group. Have my own podcast as well called Humble Billings. Um. I mean that's that's it in a nutshell, really, in terms of of where I am. The the journey into recruitment's been been somewhat different to others. I think there's a personal factor to myself to to why I'm here, thriving uh, in today's market. Um, and yeah, really, really happy to to obviously be on this podcast, Alicia. You're on mine as well, which was a very wholesome one where we discussed about your relationship with my father, etc., which is obviously a big reason why I'm here today. Um, so yeah, that's it. People might have seen me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I use sort of LinkedIn like Twitter, if I'm honest. I've never had Twitter before. So it's sort of my my platform to, to put a lot of random stuff out there. It's a uh, borderline professional at times, but <laughs> Well, I think uh, we I think we all we all sit on that borderline of professional yeah. and personal, but that's what what LinkedIn has definitely become. And yes, actually I've been on both of your podcasts and what we will do 
when we're producing the show is make sure that we have those links to your shows as well where I've been on it because obviously that makes absolute sense and what I like is actually that I fell into recruitment 25 years ago as did your dad and you fell into it only two years ago did you fall into it Susanna Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's it's a long story how I got into it. I, my dad was a head teacher at school. And when I was a kid, I was like, like sat in the classroom. He was like, check out that teacher. Are they any good? And I had to like sit recruiting at like 12 years old. So it's kind of like you could say I was born into the role. <laughs> wow, I, I didn't know that. That's so cool. So go and tell us about your dad then. So he was a head teacher and he would say, go and check out that. T-. So like go and look at their profile. Yeah, we know, you know, teachers would come in and do trial lessons. Yeah. Like, he'd always be like, I want to know what it's like being in the classroom with that teacher. Did you feel engaged? Did you feel these things? So I felt like I had this little kind of like Mm. special position being headmaster's daughter. I sound like such a little posh kid, don't I? Headmaster's (laughs) daughter. (laughs) And it was just like, yeah, it was just really, I just love it. I love matchmaking friends. I love finding out about different people and working out who would mesh well together and it's just it's one of life's glorious things isn't it sort of mixing different personalities who are also different let's face it and seeing how they gel very much so well that's I've never heard that anybody come into recruitment because their dad was a head teacher before so how did you then vicariously end up doing actual recruitment of education then how did that come about I didn't even know it existed. I was in sales, had courage to get on the phone to people. And then someone was like, you should try education recruitment. And remember back then, everyone used to say recruitment's so cutthroat. I remember my boss saying to me, good luck, Suze, you'll, you'll struggle. It's so cutthroat. And it's absolutely awesome. I mean, it's freaking hard, isn't it? But like, it, it's such a great job. Um, and it felt natural to me because I studied education um, and the sales part as well. And I don't care what anyone says who's listening to this sales is part of recruitment um sales in a nice consultative way but it is part of recruitment and if you are good at that then it's likely that if you can do the multitasking thing I think that you can be a an elite recruiter as well yeah now I agree with you totally and we will definitely come back to that you know hold that thought about sales and this as we record this as we you're probably listening to this now as we've turned into 2024 we're about to turn into 2024 but as 2023 has been one of those years it's been the leveler year and it's where the the concept of sales and business development has been used as a kind of you know double-edged sword and I'm really pleased you've said that because I think to me the best recruiters and the most natural recruiters are the ones that don't think about the fact that we're selling that is that it's a natural process for us to do it it's not oh my god I've got to pick up the phone and sell it's oh I need to speak to that person and that's why I've always maintained that if it if it feels arduous to actually pick this up you are in the wrong job Yeah. And I think when people say sales as well, they often think of that stigma, don't they, of car salesperson. But sales can just mean influencing people and being able to have a positive consultative approach. And I think that's what I like to try and have anyway. Yeah, I love your story. That's so cool. And and just as a before we move on to Cal and your dad, so you do the whole singing thing with your dad, don't you? The choir. I love that part of your personality. She's got an amazing voice, Cal. She's got the voice of an angel. Yes, everybody needs to know. But that wins over candidates. Oh, she's just (laughs) embarrassing me now, embarrassing me now. But I think the creative element's really important as well in in recruitment and like just going through LinkedIn on a daily basis. Like I see both of you guys posting awesome things that are really creative. And I think, oh, that's really like unique. And, you know, I think it can be a really good skill for a recruiter to have that creative element. I definitely agree. Well, we'll, uh, you know, we'll definitely come back to the LinkedIn element. Well, thank you for that. And I think, you should definitely sing more on LinkedIn then, if you're saying that. 
Pal, you indicated in your intro that it, we're here because of your dad. I mean, you, you're here because of your dad for biological reasons, but let's talk contextually yeah. how your story into recruitment began with your dad. Um, similar to Susanna's dad, actually, I was a teacher for four years uh, and worked in a high school. Um, it was a borderline mainstream school, so it was under special measures at the time. Uh, as you can imagine, obviously, that comes with its challenges. Uh, actually never went to university so the job itself was sort of uh, an apprenticeship so I went to college and, and, and sort of did that whilst I was doing a, a, a course there um, started off in the P department sort of worked my way up um, essentially to, to head of year at, at the end point like I said I was there about four and a half years now this was before my dad passed so for context my dad passed away in 2017 uh, I started in the school at 2018 but there was almost this 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 sort of like cloud over my head where I was constantly you know wanting to achieve more as a you know 18 year old getting called sir in a school like it's a pretty good achievement in itself but I think for me the money element um I mean you know you can get paid well in a school you are prorated for all the holidays xyz and I think um I started seeing a lot of advertisement on on online about recruitment um I spoke to a few friends at the time. They were like, you'd be really good in it. And I was like, funny enough, that's actually what my dad did. Um, so I looked into it a little bit more. Um, my dad obviously still has a LinkedIn profile. Um, so I sort of remember going on his profile, seeing what he did. And he did rep to rep. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to do recruitment, like I'm going to do something similar to, to you know, what my dad did. Um, funny story, actually, I always remember being, um, being quite young and walking around Argos with my mum. Uh, as a kid, as you do, you sort of go, I want this, I want that. And she just quite angrily, like, gritted her teeth. She was like, ask your dad. I was like, why? She was like, your dad earns my yearly salary in a single month. I was like, give over, no way. Obviously, I was a young kid then. And I actually brought that conversation back to my mum at the time. And I said, look, I'm I'm going to join recruitment. Like, you're probably going to hate me for it. She was like, no, no, I think you'll be great at it. Um, you know, as long as you can sort of balance the emotional aspect and don't get overwhelmed like your old man did at times. Um, go for it. So that's essentially what, what I did. I remember in the interview process with, with Matt Sullivan, who, who runs Hire Group. And obviously when I told him that the reason why I'm here, um, similar to what you said, Susanna, like you didn't know what recruitment was. And I, I honestly didn't know. It was just something that my dad did. And I know that he earned a lot of money. And I think that just that sole reason, having that personal driving factor of wanting to curiously explore an industry which to me was quite close to my heart. Um, not saying that's the only reason I got the job, right? I'm pretty good at what I do, but you know, it was a it was a big element into into why I sent you got hired. And I think it's it's all about for me trying to finish off his legacy. Mm. No, that's just nice. made me go all goosebumpy. That is nice. <laughs> And, and I said to you on your show, and we, we covered a lot more around sort of the, um, the history around your dad and, you know, your dad had an alcohol um, alcohol condition, didn't he? And, yeah, you know, there, he did, there, yeah. And it, it, overshadowed, it overshadowed his life. And But he was he was a brilliant recruiter and he was definitely cut from a, a traditional recruitment cloth. You know, he, he was from my era, so to speak, although obviously I'm, I'm still in it. I think your dad had gone more into management consultancy. But I think the personal drive will be resonating with a lot of the listeners because, you know, a lot of people who come into recruitment, certainly post-COVID, have possibly seen, like you've said, you know, it may be relatives, friends, you know, whatever, going to what is an incredibly rewarding career, but maybe don't realise 
how challenging it can be. And, and that's actually, I, re- I really kind of want to just stay with you on this, Cal, because I guess what you've experienced in only the, sh- the two years you've been doing it is the two extreme, most extreme years I've seen in almost 25 years, which is this, you know, 2022 with this balloon of opportunity. You literally could not fail to make money last year, pretty much. Yeah. Um, really, you know, there was an abundance of candidates, an abundance of opportunity for every market, really. And then this year, it all fell off a cliff pretty rapidly. And it, it, it was rapid. It, it was, you know, a tsunami at the start of the year. So how have you, as a recruiter yourself, never mind a recruiter of recruiters, but how have you as a recruiter adapted in what has been a really kind of, I guess, totally contrasting two years? I think... Yeah, like what you mentioned then, Alicia, obviously when when I got into recruitment last year, um, I did a deal on my fifth day. Um, you know, I still hold the record for the quick quickest deal ever in the business. Um, and from there, I was like, this is a piece of piss. Like, excuse my French, but oh, it no, was honestly swear. like... my a, part. A... <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, well, it was a piece of piss anyway. So yeah, it was like... It, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like I've just earned, you know, X amount of commission on this deal that I've done on my fifth day of the job. Um, but yeah, going back to your question of, 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 I suppose like how I've managed, you know, last year to this year, I think it's, it's a good, a good point to, to discuss about my dad again a little bit on that because my dad had, he was undiagnosed ADHD. Now I am diagnosed ADHD. I, I think that obviously if he was diagnosed, he could have had support and stuff like that through. Um, obviously his journey, not saying it could have, you know, uh, changed his death in the end, but th- th- it was a big sort of um, self development piece, which I wanted to focus on myself because like, you know, he was a very exceptional recruiter. But what I do see in myself is that, you know, naturally we are quite emotional and we can spin numerous plates at once um my legs constantly shaking on the table now i'm you know quite hyperactive in terms of my energy and i think it was a real um grounding moment when the market changed because like i said you sort of go on this uh roller coaster you know it's quite naive to to think that it's going to go all the way up and not come down but for me this year has been a struggle at times uh, emotionally it can like sort of ruin um weeks uh, you know if not months and i think you know my dad's um his his way of dealing with that was through alcohol so for me it's about finding the root cause and, and, and the grounding the stability of of keeping myself uh, above water keeping my head above water at all times and I have a bit of a saying that you know you don't need to sort of keep your head above water by treading water you can just put on some armbands them armbands can be external internal support um listening to podcasts okay. like this and just you know just just really understanding that I think recruitment is uh, it's a long game and I was quite naive at the at the start, you know, fifth day on the job, done a deal, thinking it's going to be like that for the rest of my life. When actually we are in the epicenter of, you know, a human capital asset business, and you know, it fluctuations and ebbs and flows are going to go, and and we're going to feel every single little bit of incline and decline. So, yeah, yeah, for, for me, it's been more about, um, you know, forget forget about Callum being a recruiter. It's more about me as a person, just to keep my head above water and, and, and embracing the the dips. I'm really pleased that you talked about that in terms of how your dad dealt with things and yeah. the sort of, 
I think the whole narrative around mental well-being has totally transformed to when your dad was at the peak of his career to where you are now in, in your sort of growth area. And I think it, I'm so relieved that we feel safe enough to talk about these things publicly. You are vulnerable sharing that with, with everybody. But the fact is, you by sharing it, that makes people feel less vulnerable by saying, actually, it's been really shit this year. And there have been moments where I've gone, I don't yeah. know if I can do this anymore. So I think it's great that you have shared that with us. And I really appreciate that. And I think, you know, recruitment is cyclic. It's never, ever going to just be at the top of the roller coaster. It, you you become the best recruiter actually from markets like this, let me tell you. So, you know, yeah. and it's not naive. You're not naive. You were, you were at the start of your recruitment career, Callum, at the end of the day. You've got to be kind to yourself. But I like your analogy. I think it's really important that somebody listening now will go, actually, you're right. And I haven't necessarily got the right, either the right people around me or the right coping mechanisms for when I have a shit day. Because you are going to have days like that, whether it's exercise, yeah. whether it's, you know, going to a spin class, going for a swim, physically doing something really proactive for yourself. But actually, emotionally, you mentioned the word emotionally, I think having the right support people around you knowing and recognizing that we are we are total bar barometers of every little thing that's happening if you think we've had this like total tsunami of um you know high interest rates high inflation rates we've had the ukrainian war we've now got a middle eastern war you know there is still a human capital issue we still have a massive deficit of skills in stem in recruitment so it's all yeah. these continual factors that are actually out of our control and influence. So I, I'm so pleased that you've shared that with us. So thank you for doing that. Susanna, how, I mean, your journey obviously might be slightly different, but how do you cope with the ebbs and flows and the highs and the lows? Oh my gosh. Like, oh, there's so many different things, aren't there? That like can just affect your mindset. So I can scroll through LinkedIn and look at my competitors, for example, and think, oh my gosh, they're doing that. Maybe I'm not as good. And there's, or you might just wake up after having no sleep, or you might just have a day where you're just not feeling yourself this, or you might look at someone else doing really well and think maybe you're not. There's all these different things that can affect the mindset. So for me, one of the, the biggest lessons I've ever learned is James Clear process just concentrate on the process i try not to look at the news anymore i block it out because it just takes me off my track mm -hmm. i try not to think about what outcomes i want because again it just takes me off the track like i, I speak to you a lot Lisha. you are a great mentor and i you'll often say to me like Susanna that was really that was an amazing month well done I, I would never admit that to myself because I almost don't want to admit when it's going well I just want to keep on the process I'm so scared almost like in an autistic way you know mm. <laughs> I'm literally just like keep on the track keep on the track mm. don't let anything get you off um it has been a really tough year but in a different way I don't think it's it's more just kind of adjusting the process so for me Whereas it might have been easier just to get trainees into roles. A lot of clients are a lot more reluctant to take on trainees where or to make risks. So mm -hmm. in many ways, it's an advantage because it's a time that we can really get those passive candidates and work on our pipeline and get the bigger fees, if you like. So for, for me, it's not so much that it's affecting me in a bad way. It's more the adjustment and having to learn to do it a different way that has been the biggest biggest challenge for me I think and, and actually from what you've said there it, and thank you for sharing that I think it's adding value to the customers you know it's that's where you I mentioned it before in response to Callum it, this it's in the challenging markets where you really build trust with your clients because you're not trying to just push 
any old trainee on them or any old candidate that's come your way this is somebody who is trusting you with their career wherever they're at in that in that journey and I think there's a lot to be said for recruiters that have still got their jobs right now that maybe haven't done as well as they did last year but they're you know presumably washing their face making enough money and they're doing the right thing by people and that's I always say I earned my stripes as a rector in the recession of 2008 that is when feedback wise I would I would get my clients and my candidates saying to me even years later saying we knew we could trust you because you wouldn't let us move you wouldn't let us move even though you could have made a quick fee out of us because it why on earth would you leave you didn't have enough reason so I think there's a lot to be said for that you also made another change this year I don't know if you know this Callum but Susanna moved to Dubai this year you're in Dubai now yeah. I'm in Dubai now. This is the afternoon. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's cool. It's cool. So, yeah, I, I basically had a health scare um, last year. And I'm. it sounds really morbid, but I'm one of those people who I'm always thinking of make each day count I know you shared your story Callum about you know what what happened with your with your with your parent and that's really sad and I think I'm always thinking about cherishing each day and making the most of it and I think that little health scare made me go sort of 360 what do I want to do in my life where's the bucket list and I was like I've always wanted to live abroad and it was so scary. And I got here, I was calling you, wasn't I, um, Lisha? And I was saying, what have I done? I miss my family, I miss my friends. And it's like, I learned so much about myself. I think Dubai gets quite a lot of bad press because you look on the, the programs and it's like all the designer handbags and things like that. But actually, for me, it's been networking with some pretty extraordinary business people. Everyone's very sort of like-minded in their approach. It's always very sunny. It's um, It's been an incredible change. And I've learned so much about the processes of change in a way that I can identify with my candidates more, but also with myself. So, yeah been a pretty pretty big episode there might just just to pause on that for a moment there will be plenty of people listening because we have a global community which is just it blows my mind that we have people listening all over the world um what would your top tip be for anyone that's thinking about whether it's dubai or whether it's you know australia wherever moving abroad with their career what would your top tip be I think it's very easy to listen. And I think this with any change, like even if you're looking for a new job or if you're making a big life change, it's very easy to it's our brains are conditioned right to be in our comfort zone so going back to the caveman times when it was like I'm going to stick with my tribe because if I don't I'll go out of the cave and I'll probably get eaten <laughs> by something <laughs> so, but it is our brains are so conditioned to be to feel safe and I think it's kind of turning that around reversing that to the whole like if I don't do this if I have got one week left what would I want to do? And again, I know it sounds morbid, but it's actually a really positive way to think because mm. I, I always, I'm fascinated by aliens, right? <laughs> I would love to go to space if I could. The closest thing I'm going to get is um, is going across the other side of the world and meeting lots and lots of different cultures. So you know what? Like we can learn so much from different people who are from different areas. And I think you've got all of that at your disposal now in this life who and knows, you Susanna you might be who knows in 20 years time you might be able to even maybe less time than that get on a put your meta glasses on and a get podcast on you from Mars a podcast you from Mars I, it'll be perfect. I think I think between three of us we've, we've interviewed enough Martians I imagine between the three of us but that's a whole rhetoric <laughs> joke on it so that's um, no and I think that you know possibly I think I am definitely the oldest person in the room here guys I think that's the thing of, of wisdom as you get older that you can only control your controllables 
And if this is your last day on this earth, you don't want to have any regrets. So, but I think you have to, it's all doing it with measure. And obviously you consulted your husband and presumably it was a very collaborative decision to move abroad. So I think I'm not saying it's easier for people who might be thinking about doing it to do it if you are on your own and single and you don't have any responsibilities. But I only have one regret in my life and considering how many mistakes I've made. And that one regret is that when I was, younger with no commitments no mortgage no children no business and just worked I should have explored the option of living abroad even if it was just for a couple of years so I I take my hat off to you I want to know I want to know then what would you tell yourself now if you were to look back um how would you how would you tell young Leisha to just go for it well first of all definitely say no more to more men (laughs) That's a whole different <laughs> podcast. I, I think I think I I'm very happy to admit I've made a lot of mistakes. And and actually, one you probably not expect me to say this. Um, I would have quit the booze. I would have quit the booze very early in my adult life. And the reason I say that is that most of my fuck-ups in life have been down to I've not necessarily been drunk, but I've been in the continuous state of hungover, waiting for the next session. Um, and I know now, having been sort of sober for nearly seven years, that had I been in, been me now, and I know I'm wiser and, you know, I'm almost 50, et cetera, et cetera, but had I had the clarity of thought which sobriety gives you and only sobriety can give you, which is actually our default when we're born, but anyway, I would not have made a lot of the decisions that I have. And I think that's the decision I would, that's the, that's the one piece of advice, which is basically saying no. It's saying no to societal expectation, which is go and have a drink, go and do this. So that's what, I would just be braver. And bold, yeah. uh, very hard to get alcohol over here. Um, it is very hard. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, <laughs> it's. It, I'm sure we can. We can talk about that. But I'm. I'm keen not to focus too much on sobriety because people have dropped in to hear about the background to rhetoric. Now, one thing that is different between you and me, Callum, apart from you know the fact that you know we're I'm twice your age, but that's besides the point. Is that you? I. I've never called myself a niche rector I actually recruit across every single recruitment industry every single sector Mm -hmm. within the northwest whereas you've gone down that niche route so just if we need to backpedal a little bit just talk us through how you've arrived at this point with your desk um so when I started I was a graduate recruiter in London always have been um it's funny enough actually you know in the office now we're, we're based in Manchester ourselves I'm actually the only guy from Manchester you know, out the whole office, maybe bar another one. Um, but I, I was a bit put out, to be fair. I wanted to, to do Manchester for its ground turf. I could get on with the Northerners more. Like, I just thought it made sense. But, you know, my boss was like, no, do London. Uh, it's a bit of a tougher market. We need someone like you with a bit of backbone to kick down some doors. So, kick down doors, I did, Leisha. Um, you know, I sort of progressed pretty quickly. Um Got a team of three underneath me, you know, doing really, really well on just graduate recruitment across London. And I built a load of solid relationships um, to the point where, you know, that's why I had to start hiring to, to for, for my team to sort of deliver into them roles, which I was bringing on. And yeah, I, I was getting a bit annoyed because what I was finding was that the market was slowing down in terms of graduate and junior recruitment. A lot of internals were coming into play, people reducing spend. Um, 
you know, the dropout rate was 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 going like through the roof. Um, and I remember just just feeling the money sort of go through my hands. Now, there's someone in the business here who does life science recruitment, specializes in rhetoric life sciences. And he's done that ever since I've been here. And he was actually the top contingent biller last year. And I sort of thought, okay, he must be doing something, you know, right in his market. He's like the go-to person for that space. So, you know, I sort of did it off my own accord. I uh, didn't tell my boss. I just sort of branded my LinkedIn as I'm doing renewable energy and clean tech um, in London. And he was like, I've just seen this post. Like, what are you doing? Like, you've got a team that are all doing graduates. And I went, no, no, I'm doing this. And the reason being is because I think it's a very forward thinking market in terms of, you know, where the world's going i was you know driving down the road the other day and everything post on energy and renewable this and everything everything i'm seeing is is regarding um bringing the the, the world to a more sustainable place so mm-hmm. i think with these it's difficult to say obviously why I, I'm still obviously learning the market itself. There's lots of pros and cons, which come to that. I've been doing it now for about three months. Um, I've already closed the highest deal that I've ever done, um, which was quite juicy, um, which was an associate director. But again, I wouldn't have had access to this if it wasn't for me exploring a market and a space where, in my opinion, there's no other Rectorex who are doing it at the moment. Um, so it's been a bit different because I think one of the main things for me was turning away business. Actually, this morning I had a client who rang me. He's like, I need four people. I'm like, I'd love to help you, but I have to stay in my box for now. And the box that I visualize is, it sounds quite daunting, but it, it essentially it's my own business within my company's umbrella. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the roles that I was doing as a generalist, you know, there's 30 other people here in the office that are also delivering on them roles. So I really wanted to have my own accountability and sort of mark my own stamp within a specific market, which I genuinely thought could could be of use to the environment. So yeah, that, that's sort of where I'm up to. I love it. So there's like a double layer to it, really. And I think that the reason yeah. I wanted to ask you that, and I'll come on to you, Susanna, because I know that you're, you're a specialist as well, is that you've researched it, you've seen an opportunity, it's not a saturated market, um, you're immersing yourself in it and obviously you're still in that sort of learning mode with it but actually that's where you're future proofing your yeah. revenue stream and I think there's whether you're listening to this now and you're a, a legal recruiter a finance recruiter whatever I think for me verticalizing and understanding your market and immersing yourself in it is absolutely the way to future proof yourself and ensure that you still have a job in 10 years time and although I'm I started off and I'm not um, sort of going back on what I've said. I immerse myself in the Northwest. All I do, I turn away business that's outside the Northwest because I know every single agency in the Northwest. I know every single, you know, who the movers and shakers are, who the good companies are. And I, so my benchmarking skills within my small parochial market, come on, Northwest, is I don't, I don't (laughs) believe there's another expert that knows Northwest because I've been doing it for over 20 years. So I, I basically am embellishing what you're saying there. So, Susanna, you also are a niche specialist. So how do you find that that benefits you and your, oh, and your benefits, customers? It benefits the candidates so much because the minute that they talk to you, I think the best kind of rector or the best kind of recruiter in general, Mm. they will walk away from a conversation, ideally a Zoom, ideally not 10 minutes Mm. (laughs) telling you about a job, but they'll walk away from a half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour with you knowing more about what their market is doing. 
and having that blind spot uncovered. I think those are the best kind of recruiters. And you might not even talk to them about a job. In fact, I'd, I'd better if you don't until maybe the second call when you've already got that trust. So I think like having that ability to say, okay, well, this is what you're billing. This is what you'd be billing if you went to this company. This is what you'd be billing if you went to that company. But what you don't realize is that you could actually, even though that's lower, you can actually have a higher ability to get the days or get the business if you work to this company because they offer xyz so i think like offering that to a candidate is offering value and i i, I cannot stand rector x none of us do this but who put posts on linkedin saying you need to leave your job now you might think you're happy but you need to leave now i'm like no no actually some people they just need to stay and that can be our job as well to reassure yeah. them um it's yeah. like you were saying Alicia, during um during the recession and things like that just you know you want to be that trusted ally for your candidate and that is where you move away from thinking oh i'm having a crap month but thinking in quarters thinking ahead because those long-term relationships will give you the highest fees so we might feel like we're doing crap right now but we could be on the brink of our biggest biggest ever what year. she what she's just said it will happen i've been through that many cycles and i think so basically just to summarize insights market intel which by the way you can also then do for your clients too and you then are building the next key thing that i've taken away from what you've just said is partnership and that's the only way to cement your future as a recruiter in my opinion um to not even think about ai we're not i don't want to talk about ai today it's just so boring it's just so boring it's there it's here it's here we're doing it we're using it but the way to future proof yourself is to create a, men a mindset of partnership and that's why I think that integrity is about doing the right thing every single time. And if people want to share those adverts, I mean, I don't know who responds to those adverts personally. I mean, I really don't know who responds to those sorts of job adverts anymore. Do recruiters actually? I mean, maybe the candidates of the recruiters, maybe engineers do, but I don't believe any recruiter actually responds to an advert like that. I think you have to uh, nurture. I think you have to court. Well, it's quite an old-fashioned word, isn't it? But I think you have to really recognize that in a market like this where there's so much noise and there's so many people sharing stuff I think you have to do the right thing and it is I, I think it's I think you've actually almost simplified what we are all here all here to do for our clients and our candidates yeah it's a massive responsibility like a massive responsibility and I I, I personally don't take that lightly at all no the I change don't. that we can have on people's lives so it's it's, yeah. mass it's massively impactful it really is now we've both alluded you both alluded to it and I I actually do very little at this level but I think it's really important because a lot of our listeners it's very hard to gauge I, I know you both use analytics we all use analytics but who your actual listeners are the only way you actually know is by feedback and a lot of our listeners are new people to recruitment and what they're trying to do is elevate and learn and it's brilliant and that's why podcasts are the best thing ever so for those listening who are quite new to, on their recruitment journey I want them to hear from you guys and I'm happy to contribute as well is what would your top three tips be to ensure that they're successful in their recruitment career I'm going to go with Callum first what would your top three tips be for anybody starting their recruitment journey at the moment um number one some people might not like to hear the word but for me be obsessed i think obsession's painted in a bad light but for me anyone successful is obsessed in what they do mm -hmm. um recruitment you can make a lot of money that's why we're all here 
and you know taking away the transactional purpose of that is actually where you're going to see generational wealth similar to what Susanna said then you know if you are building good relationships like the best candidates that I've placed have been from conversations I've had six months ago and none of them conversations I had were about a role it was just genuinely just learning about that that candidate where they are in their you know scenario right now and just building a picture for them um, I'll never, ever, ever, ever just sell in a role straight away. It's just not the way I do things. Um, I think, yeah, number one top tip would just be obsessed. Um, so that to me is, like I said, it, it's painted in a, in, in a bad light for me, but it's really not. If you look at um, Kobe Bryant's personal trainer, he said, he wrote a book called Relentless. Um, I watched one of his podcasts and, and he said to me, he said, look, like, he is the best basketball player ever to walk the earth. You know, let, let's just say for story's sake. And the reason why is because he was obsessed in the small details. So obsession comes in the the, the detailed orientated um, focus. And what he did was he used to walk around the basketball court and bounce the ball before every game and notice like certain points where the ball wouldn't bounce as high. No, not to go there in a game or to tackle someone else if the draw in the game okay. he's also shooting some baskets before the game and they said to the referee can you measure the basket and he said i've just measured it they had a back and forth they ended up measuring it it was half of an inch too low you don't get that unless you're obsessed um you know there's unhealthy obsessions of course but i think if you really want to do well in this market obsession comes in the details so that would be number one um number two for me it probably would be the branding. Branding's number one for me in recruitment. Um, I know, Leisha, obviously you've been here before LinkedIn. Um, we talked about that on our podcast. You know, LinkedIn wasn't Sorry. a thing. Then, I'm a dinosaur. Yeah, no, no, it's true. No. I just It just made me yeah. laugh the way, the way you said it. I was here way before LinkedIn. I was. I've been here forever. You created yes. LinkedIn. You created it. No, <laughs> honestly, though, in, in all serious, sorry. <laughs> In all seriousness, no, it speaks to many, many clients at the moment, and, and that they're, they're the same. Like, you know, they've, I've asked people, I've been asked to do personal branding training um, for their consultants. Um, and I think right now, like you mentioned before, with job adverts and stuff like that, not a lot of people do apply, but it's just getting your face on people's feed and getting your face on their radar. Um, like I know I am the go-to person in the market I'm doing and it shows because if I put you know something out there the market comes to me so that would be number one it'll be like branding whatever that looks like in your key area focus on um, you know making relevant posts it doesn't just have to be about jobs it's a bit generic you know tell a story you know the branding is your personal story and I feel like I've done pretty well on that and then the last one would be it would be, and I know it's um, it, it sounds normal, but not a lot of recruiters do it. And if you are really on into your recruitment journey, just take this from me because this is something I did really, really wrong at the start. I didn't ask questions and shut up. I would literally just like ask questions and then just like jump down the throat and just like tell my piece. And I was relating with everyone. And um, I think it's sometimes, you know, I, it was very transactional for me. I was just thinking of the fee. Um, so asking questions and shutting up is, is a real, real big thing for me, like actually listen to what they want, where they are. Um, and I think that's where you can really separate yourself from from other 
other recruiters. So that'll be, yeah, all three. Obsession, uh, ask questions and shut up in your branding. Definitely. Well, I just want to, um, there's a, from my era, Bill Borman, who is very still prolific in the recruitment industry, very influential. He trained me back in the 90s. Um, there's one phrase that what you just said there about active listening, which is you've got two ears and one mouth. You need to use them in that order. And it's such a visual like thing. That. It's so, and then you just don't even need to explain it, do you? And it is actually, yeah. I, I love your three. And and I I think that obsession is because we associate it sexually, don't we? With, with you know, going after somebody that you fancy. But actually, do we? Talking, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe that's me. <laughs> um, other obsession, Calvin Klein. Um, about you? you're, yeah. talk, you're talking this is where my brain goes you're talking about passion and relentless learning and I love everything that you said that and I could not agree more about personal branding and yes I have been here in the world before LinkedIn and, <laughs> and I I would like to think that I'm also a hugely you know I'm a good advocate for how to emulate what personal branding is actually about which is your authentic voice which is you not trying to be somebody else or use chat gpt too much where you're just boring yeah. the tips of everybody i think that your three um top tips are exceptional and i think they're really relevant and i really hope that whoever's listening now that's in the start of their journey they take that on board particularly the active listening because i think that's yeah. a life skill i think if every human listened more i think we'd have a much kinder world but that's just an aside thank you for those callum Susanna, what would your top no problem Oh my gosh. Yeah, I just want to add to that what you said about listening as well, because I found and thinking about the trainees who are listening to this, when you go into your first sales training session, that they say we're going to talk about listening, you almost stop listening because you're like, oh, I can I can listen. That's easy. I know how to listen. But um I, I had some improv um training years ago and it made me realize, you know what? When anyone's talking, even now, like it's very easy for other people to be thinking, okay, what am I going to say next? What am I going to say next? So I've actually conditioned myself to like repeat in my head what that person is saying when they're speaking. Um, and that's really helped me because I actually thought I was a good listener, but I was a crap listener. So I love that. I love what you said about obsession as well, which is linked to my first one. So my first one is knowing what your why is. Um, and really being intentional about it because I agree with you having that obsession comes from what is important to you and what your purpose is and for me it's writing it down okay because you can always say oh I think this is my why and it's all a bit vague but writing it down and having something physical that I can look at every day and say this is me this is why I do what I do and also making sure your clients and your candidates know that because I think we're very, I'm a rector ec. Well, so what? There's loads of rector ecs, but what is my why? What is my intention behind what I'm doing? So together we're on a path somewhere, not just into no man's land of let's talk about jobs. My second one is discipline. So, you know, we talk about smart objectives and everything, but we often forget about the the, the measurable piece, the, um, the piece which is tracking what we're doing. And I find this so hard, but when I do it, I'm so much better. So I think any recruiter who says, oh, KPIs, I hate KPIs. Well, David Beckham was strict on KPIs and he's a world-class footballer, right? Every world-class athlete, they all need to be measuring themselves in some way. So finding a way to measure yourself and have the discipline and not always think about what are you doing outcome-wise, but what am I doing on a day-to-day basis, the small things, 1% better and all of that. Thanks, James Clear. And then number three... For me would be um the heart um first the heart first and the brain 
behind because if you do it from the heart like just small things you don't have to send a big bouquet of flowers to your client but just small things like how was your weekend in Tenby or you know it was your birthday it's your birthday next month I'm really excited those little small things you cannot put a price on that show that someone's listened to show that someone's cares um it, it just it just makes makes so much difference and I think part of that is putting yourself out there in a positive way you know the poor Alicia when she came on my podcast I was I said to her I didn't want to like you when I first saw you because yeah. I saw her drink so well she said, just... she said it twice <laughs> she said it twice I didn't like you I didn't I wanted to not like you that's what you actually said but you know what shame shame on me because I think we're very we're very it's very easy to look at competitors as as threats and I think actually they're not threats we can learn from them and actually you can use your competitors to motivate yourself so back to discipline piece when I'm having a bad day I think oh this is a day that my competitor might quit so I'm going to carry on you know it's all like we're not really competitors in this world of recruitment we're, we're all here to do better good and if you've got the heart in it then you can collaborate with with people in your industry and that's really important and it's been a big learning curve for me I love I absolutely love everything that you said there and I think you know that's for me, we don't talk about the heart element enough and we don't talk about kindness enough and we don't talk about caring about what we do because it's, you know, cutthroat, we're sales, we need to make money. But actually, again, if we're talking about a career and longevity, you will burn out if you don't actually have the why. Whatever your why is, there's no right or wrong, by the way. Um, there is yeah. no right or wrong. And I think that I'm really pleased that you talked about KPIs because I, I was pulling a silly face for anyone that actually bothers to watch on YouTube because it's still, again, like sales, it's seen as this, you know, awful beat stick to beat you with. But I've been doing this 25 years and I still have my own KPIs. Now, mine will be very different to somebody that's been doing it for a year because I've been doing it for so long, but I still measure myself. I still have my activity that I know I need to do to achieve my end goal. And I think that with all of those things, the thing that has kept me so joyful, despite market conditions fluctuating over 25 years, is that heart element. I care about what I do. I give a shit about my clients. I am very often the only person, and this is quoting them, that actually asks how they are. And I'll go, no, really, how are you? It's been a terrible year. And they go, oh, my God, thank God, you said, thank God you've said that. And all of a sudden, it all comes blurting out. If you want to get close to your clients, which ultimately the ones that pay your fees get close mm -hmm. to your clients ask about them and don't do it in a disingenuous don't go oh do you watch football at the weekend yeah we, we can all talk about football and how amazing Man City is but I just thought I'd throw that in for Callum because I know he's a United fan I think <laughs> it's really important it, but your dad was a City fan wasn't he yeah he was that's he why was. I chose United <laughs> and, I know I understand I know how it works um but joking aside I think what Susanna has picked up on that is your way to be memorable as a recruiter to be the go-to person and the trusted person and to actually, for your own selfish point of view, to keep you in the game when the going gets tough. Because if you're really caring about people, you will see things long-term. I absolutely love your reasons. Am I, am I permitted to give my three top tips? Would you mind? Oh, please. Yeah. Waiting. We're waiting. I'm, I'm trying to make them different to your three because I was like, oh, I really wish that had been mine. So I think <laughs> there's a there's going to be a bit of duplicitousness, of course there is. But I think curiosity, I think curiosity is what drives all of us we we're nosy buggers we like to know about people we will be the ones that will continually persist and understand and uncover and unpick and um, about everything and about everybody all the time and I remember 
when I very probably around your stage, I've probably been in recruitment a couple of years and um, was with my now ex ex brother in law because this was my first marriage. And he said, like, you just you are you interviewing everybody all the time? And we were in a social event, and I went, no, of course not. And he just said, if, sometimes it feels a little bit like that. And I was like, whoa, I kind of I, I, I reined it back in a little bit, and I was like, but actually, I've always been this curious. I've always been curious about humans and. I think there's so much psychology that's involved in the process. So I think that's the first thing. I think never stop being curious. And I think if you really aren't interested in people and processes and how these things are going to pan out, again, go and do something else. Um, I think very much picking up on what Callum said around, um, you know, the, 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 um, I can't think of his name now, the basketball player, Um, tenacity and relentless learning, I think, you have to work really fucking hard to be a successful recruiter. And I don't think people talk about it enough. You need to have such a deep sense of work ethic and tenacity that you are prepared to work longer and harder than anyone else. And you cannot be a clock watcher in recruitment. And I'm not talking about, you know, positive toxicity, about clocking off at 10 o'clock, going, oh, look, I'm sending an email at 10. I don't mean that. I mean that you're just always wanting to find out and get stuff done. Um, And the fact is, the top billers in our industry are the ones that are putting the extra hours. It is as simple as that. You do not become a top biller by doing eight hours a day. It's simple as that. And the final one, I have to say this one because it's a, it's tattooed on me in Hebrew, but B, my whole business is based on this because it forms part of the acronym of key, which is quality, urgency, and integrity. And that's integrity. And we've already covered it. I won't go on too much, but if you do not do things for the right reasons, you will get found out. You will make mistakes. The whole, you know, dropping messages on LinkedIn. You talked about it before, Callum, about, you know, some of your best placements have been people you've spoken to months ago with yeah. no intention other than just building a relationship. That's integrity. You know, they will remember that. And that's why they'll come back to you. And they know, you know, they'll come back to you every time now. They will be your peers in the industry. Yep. And that's how you build a long-term career. So I hope that's been helpful for those who are, new in recruitment so we have a lot of leaders listening as well I'm sure you two do to your podcast I'm sure you do and there's always a lot of you know get your crystal ball out which sectors do you think are going to be hot in 2024 and beyond and which ones do you think people might want to jump out of which ones I think do you think are on the decline I'm going to ask Susanna first oh well I think education's always thriving um and 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 healthcare because there's always money being put into that um I think I think Rector Rec is going to do really well. I really do. Um, I think I know we all talk about it being hard, but especially the leadership type roles. I think we're going to see more skilled recruiters. We're going to see the sort of junior people who, you know, come into it, maybe leaving it, but that it will be a real test. Um, I, I know Callum mentioned life sciences, which is is huge, and tech is is huge in Dubai, not so big at the moment in the UK, but it's going to have a surge back. They say next year is going to be on the up again. So I think um, it's going to be an exciting an exciting time. Definitely. definitely. What would you say, Callum? Um, if you would have asked me two years ago, I know I just started recruitment, but again, this is just like my candidates are the eyes and ears in the market they've been in it a lot longer than me most of them so I always again ask questions and shut up back to what I was saying before and um what I've been informed is that if you were to ask me two years ago it would have been tech and it would have been life sciences um if you look at companies who you know have sort of different divisions within their brands 
it was all let's open up a pharma division, let's open up a SAP tech or cybersecurity XYZ. Um, but again, it really does depend on a geographical location for me. I know everyone was sort of getting um, incorporated in the US. Um, now Dubai, where Susanna is, is, is really, really big, especially in the renewable space that I'm in at the moment. So if, you know, probably being, um, yeah, being a bit, uh, what, what was the word? Um, selfish saying it, but it's definitely, in my opinion, renewable energy um, is, is definitely going to be the hottest. And the reason why I say that is because I'm working with a handful of tech and life science businesses now with, you know, circa 200 heads. And they're saying to me, Callum, can you find me someone to head up a renewable energy brand? Um, so that's where if businesses that are solely focusing on one niche area looking to expand into a different area, you know, again, just listening to the market and where things are going, I, I definitely think that it's, it's going to be um, it's going to be a, an upward project. Upward trajectory. But, I, yeah, I think yeah. that from, so to confirm, it's going to be where there's essential skills, which you will always need in education and, and healthcare because we're always going to need teachers. Yeah. We're always going to need doctors. Right. Um, in the same vein, we're always going to be thinking about ways to protect our our planet, which is why sustainability is massive, and then renewables certainly more so than any other. I think that tech, it, the bubble was going to burst at some time, and I think that people overhired post-COVID because of all the bounce-back loans, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that it was almost like this fake recession in tech which is why I've, I have said to every single tech recruiter that, you know, maybe particularly internal ones who are really good, who I've known for a long time, I've said, your time will come again. It will come again because all these firms will struggle to, there still aren't enough developers. There still aren't enough cybersecurity people. So you don't need to worry. Yeah. So I think that everything, I agree with everything that you've said. Um, I just think if you're thinking about, if you're listening to this as a leader and thinking about how to, Again, so can navigate into new revenue streams. Just think about where, where you want skill short, but skill short because the need is there for growth, not because actually it's tool makers that, you know, and work study engineers that we don't use those skills anymore. So think about, you know, protecting yourself. What can get replaced by, by robotics? Because if it's getting replaced by robotics, then potentially that's a, again, you know, that's not a growth area. And the ones, again, that I've seen, you know diminishing are the ones with the limited um the limited gp margins are getting squeezed etc cetera, etc cetera. i meant to say change and transformation like yes. i i there's a biller doing 1.7 million i couldn't believe it like in, in one of the companies that um i'm trying to headhunt from <laughs> um and like the <laughs> transformation <laughs> yeah change and transformation is huge and i think a lot of rec directs and recruiters stay away from it because they're like huh what's, don't understand what the hell is, yeah. what is change and transformation mm -hmm. um but the minute that i mean i the best way i describe it is a company that needs to have a change whether it be finance or tech and actually it's mm -hmm. quite simple mm -hmm. um and so much money in it yeah because no of the so, so on that basis, just I want to pause and ask this question to both of you then. There are plenty of recruiters. I did this, and I think, I don't know if you did it actually, Susanna, but I've done it in my past twice, uh, and they're not just get married, um, is I've changed sectors twice. So how, what would your advice be? What would your top bid tip be to, let's say somebody's listening to this now going, oh my God, I'm in, and I'm not being disingenuous about industrial, but I know that it has been a very challenging industry for industrial because of things like robotics um you know it's just it's replacing the human element so it's not i don't think it's particularly a growth sector for a lot of companies so what would your advice be to a recruiter going 
I know I'm good. I know I've got the skills. I've, I've still got the desire. I've got all the things we talked about, curiosity, tenacity, et cetera, et cetera. How would you advise them to go about changing into a different sector that's that's on the up? So Callum first. Um, research first before anything. Like there's no point making the jump because you could just end up making the jump for no reason. Um, going back to, to what you said, Leisha, before, you've got to have that why in, in why you're actually doing it. Um, back to the obsession piece, you've got to have, you know, an actual deep desire and yeah, a curiosity into into why you want to explore that market. If not, and it is just for the fun, you know, look, you can be good as a recruiter if you're just focusing on the financial aspect of it. But, you know, to, to, to really explore a market and if you're thinking about changing a market, speak to some people who are in that market see what they're doing what's their average fee size um you know how quickly they're turning around you know is it contract is it perm what locations are, are hot at the moment um and as you do that you start to build a bit a bit of a picture uh, i'd say a very big picture actually very quickly similar to what i said before your eyes and ears in the market are your candidates and what i will say as well is something i personally found quite well if you are building a market is go for the top end so go for the clients because your clients can become candidates and the candidates can become clients. And when I've gone for them and told them about job roles that I've had, I start trickling down and then I get the juniors. And, you know, you're in for the, if you aim for the, the top of these businesses, it's weirdly enough, they're more nicer as well. Like, I don't know why they're, mm. they're, they're more like inclined like into why you want to explore this space and the, you know they're open to having an hour to two hour conversations instead of a 20 minute phone call on the lunch to a consultant who's been there two years so yeah building a picture um you know really go into the the, the stats the figures of, of of why you want to explore that market and actually see if it is viable for you as well mm -hmm. um but definitely look towards the way that the world is changing I know, you know, no one can actually get their crystal ball out and, and say this market is going to be the place to, to, to be in. But there's so much research out there. Google's your best friend. Do a quick search and, and sort of, yeah, deep dive into that. Love it. Susanna, what about you? Everything he said. Um, <laughs> but genuinely, um, I, I think one of the things you did just say, Callum, which which I completely agree with, is having knowing why you're doing it, because the amount of I mean, it is really tough to you guys might disagree with me, but I made quite a few fees from people changing sector about two years ago. And now it's so difficult and they have to be exceptional. But most importantly, when they go to that interview, if say I wanted to go into finance to, to say I want to go into finance because I want to make more money doesn't really cut it have a genuine reason um I know you said this Callum and I, I cannot emphasize it enough like I actually say to my candidates you need to have a better reason than that um yeah you, know, you really do our, our, the toughest interview that they have if they're changing sector needs to be with us the recruiter um, absolutely hallelujah <laughs> we're, we're the barrier just want, we'll come back to that in a minute no I agree with you and and I think I don't know about you two, but I, this is why I could never switch out of Rec to Rec because I love recruitment. I love everything about recruitment. And so I look for that level of passion and enthusiasm and due diligence from someone that's saying, look, I'm doing, I'm stuck doing this desk, but I really want to go into finance. And this is why I'm married to an accountant. My dad was an FD, whatever the reasons. Yeah. Those are good reasons, actually, because you've immediately got a network of people. So actually, I think it, you don't need to over-egg the pudding. I think it should become pretty obvious why you want to go and work in a sector. And I, I can't emphasise enough what Callum has said. It is not enough to say, well, because there's more money in them, their hills. Because sometimes at some point, there might not be. 
And you've still got to then prove that you've got what it takes to make it successful. I'm really pleased I asked you both that. So you both interview people sat in the hot seat and you can name names if you want to. I'm happy to tag people. But what's the best piece of advice you've both learned from one of your podcast guests? I'm going to go with Susanna first. Oh, oh sorry. So, so mean. Um, the best piece of advice that I've ever learned from one of my my podcast guests is to put yourself out there um okay you also mentioned this Leisha and but I think to put yourself out there I think is so important and I it sounds so obvious but a lot of people don't do it in an authentic way so I think be true to yourself and remember people are going to slag you off if you do they will slag you off if you don't so just do it anyway and get something that inspires you out to the world because if, if it resonates with one person that's enough um, totally. familiarity I love it damned if you do damned if you don't and if you have to be Marmite just be Marmite no I love that and I, I that again well this is all so holistic because Callum mentioned before around personal brand being one of the key things that we need to think about as recruiters so what you're saying yeah. there is that but you have to then go and put yourself out there I love that Susanna that's great and thanks for the mention what about you Callum what's been the biggest learn from maybe one or all of you guests doesn't have to be one. Um, so first, I'd just like to say I do wing all my podcasts completely. Uh, sort of learn that people don't like the fact that I don't really structure it. Um, so one thing I have learned, funny enough, is actually just like using my diary. Again, just having sporadic ADHD, everything's stored in my brain. But other people do like to see things. So, you know, I've, I've sort of learned that your calendar is your best friend. I know it sounds so normal, but like I, I actually never used my calendar until about six months ago. Um, but in, in terms of what I've learned, which was really interesting on my behalf, was that recruitment isn't all about charisma. Now, we're all salespeople. I thought, you know, recruit, you have, to be a recruit, you have to be really extroverted, really out there. And, you know, I've interviewed some really interesting people. They're open to say that they're introverted, almost robotic-like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like they are a chat GBT or whatever. And, it, and it's sort of like their processes, their discipline, their you know views on you know um, they're not out every night on the pub celebrating a, an interview or a deal and and you know more often than not they're actually really really good at the job um, and that was a big learning curve for me because I honestly thought that if you weren't the loudest in the room you're not going to be a good recruiter um, but that you know was, was quite interesting on my behalf I think another one was that people buy from people obviously relationships is everything and you know I, I've also learned um, I, I learned that people don't always buy from me because, you know, I'm a certain caliber of an individual. If I am speaking to someone who is, you know, a finance driven business savvy guy who, you know, doesn't really like the way that I speak, like I can't, you know, I don't ever have a phone voice or anything and that they're, a, you know, they may articulate their words to a certain degree. And I just, can't do that I'm just myself and that's okay you know some people don't gel and I used to really push for that I used to be like no no like this business is hiring like I've got to make sure that you know I'm building relationship and times would come where I'd try and be someone I'm not and so similar to what you were saying if your mom might you know like me or hate me I I am who I am Um, and then and then lastly was was an interesting one and again I'm sure most people know this but I think it really hits home when you just really dissect and understand it that the most successful recruiters in life had failed more times than, than succeeded absolutely um, and, and and that's something again which I'm just learning now um I had a lot of success in my first year 
in my second year, I'm open to say I've failed more times than many, you know, changing a market, um, being in the epicenter of, you know, a so-called recession, hitting my head against a wall over and over and over. But pressure makes diamonds, girls, and, you know, it does. We, we, we get out on the we're other all, end. We're all shining. <laughs> Just on that, yeah. I do I do genuinely think, and it's how you, the language that you use to yourself, they're not fails, they're just learning experiences. And that's the only yeah. time it becomes a fail if you're not learning from it. Um, yeah, so the, on that, Leisha, sorry, quickly. So there was a saying that I re- read as well, and instead of, like, um, trial and error, it's test and learn. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah. It, if you're in... If you're into this whole premise, by the way, there's an amazing podcast out there called How to Fail by Elizabeth Day. And it's she's just yeah. amazing. And it's she brings on obviously celebrities. I wish I could go on there. Um, but it's all about their biggest late, <laughs> biggest fails in life. And it's just it, the whole premise of it that you would not be where you are now if it wasn't for the fails, so to speak, the test the test and learn. Yeah. And I just want to come back to you on your on your second point that you made, which is basically the premise of the law of attraction. I do not want to recruit for everybody. I can't place everybody. And I've always said that if, you know, to some people that I might come across as a little bit fluffy, I don't think anyone who actually knows me thinks I'm fluffy, but I'm not hardcore, you know, I don't go out for using, and I'm older, so I'm not going to attract maybe based on that, I don't know. But actually, I, I don't care because I want to partner the people that get me and that I'll then get. It, they don't have to be like me. I'm not talking about cloning. But it's the law of attraction. It's, you know, you are not going to adapt yourself necessarily to attract somebody that you don't actually then really like. I think likability is a massive thing. That's what I think. Too. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Now, before we go, I've just got and, I'm, and I actually think I wish I could ask the audience that are listening now. But I, I mean, I guess you could put this in, in the comments, guys, that I personally think and I'm going to be really controversial and you two know what I'm going to ask. I think that rec to rec is the hardest recruitment job in the world what do you both think I'm going to go for Susanna first oh again she's picking on me first um (laughs) I do I think it's hard I think there are so many rectorecs who leave the industry because and they're really frustrated because they think recruiters should know better and recruiters are the worst when it comes to ghosting to accepting counter offers, all the things we're you know we're we're the worst we're a bad breed when it comes to reliability um there's a stigma against that everywhere that you look so yes i do think it is hard do i think it's the hardest no um mainly because you have access to so many linkedin is thriving with recruiters so actually finding them if you're in some industries like for example education finding teachers is almost impossible mm. because they're not in all the they're not in one defined place so I think I think actually rector I actually think rector rec is not that difficult I don't want to sound like a twat no I, just I love it I, I, I didn't want it to be contrived you're not being a twat and I just like to say that Susanna is obviously um she's not homogenizing all of recruiters saying that they're all shit and that we you ghost but when a recruiter goes to you shit. and when and when a recruiter <laughs> comes gets the counter offer <laughs> For the wrong reasons, that's what you're saying in those examples. It we have a feel... reputation for being like that. Um, you know, you look on LinkedIn at very angry rectorex, but actually, yeah. you know what? Like we're all the same recruiters, everyone. We all get swayed by counter offers, we get flattered by the headhunting call. Um, you know, I'm a big advocate for, for all recruiters out there. Um, it, and we're we don't always act in a way that is better than everyone else because we are recruiters. Yeah, that's the thing. True. What about you, Callum? 
Um, to put it politely, I think that we're in a no bullshit industry. Um, our clients are literally over recruiters, so there's no hiding, no lying. You know, they know the script. And I also think that, you know, what you said, similar than Susanna, like, they are a lot of shit rhetorics out there. But for me, that just gives us a gap to showcase our excellence. Like, for me, it's very easy just because the latter end of our title, a lot of people forget about that consultative approach. You know, we're recruitment consultants. We're not just recruiters. If you can offer more than a CV, you know, I get uh, candidates, clients come for me for, for market insights from competition, mm-hmm. um, you know, benchmarking, whatever that looks like. You, you've got to offer more than a CV. I've even put people in contact with like marketing agencies to help with their branding because someone might have took a role elsewhere because they're LinkedIn look better or whatever mm. and you know I didn't do a deal with them I just helped them because it's like I the want right to help you to and yeah, yeah I'm not just a, a recruiter I, I'm a partner I'm an extension to my businesses and um, the ones that I work with the select few couldn't see themselves growing without me so no. in terms of do I think it's the hardest it's definitely difficult and we have got a stigma as RetorX just you know being just annoying really you know we have to headhunt so do you um but at the same time they definitely need us more than they think and um and, and that will definitely show because if you look at how many rectorex are popping up now over the uk there's a there's a bloody lot of them so yeah, it, yeah it well must be... compared to when i started about three of yeah. us we are <laughs> we are a necessary evil absolutely but i think it, i i love the fact that there was no necessarily agreement with that i think that's that's everyone's experience has been, has been different but i think recruitment itself is is challenging yeah. and i wanted to finish on that question because i want if there's one thing that i want people to take away from today it's that we are doing the same job and be kind if it, whether it's you're getting a headhunt, I mean, I actually don't headhunt, but that's just because I'm different to every other rhetoric out there. I'm I'm totally inbound. But if you're engaging with a rhetoric, just be kind and just think about how do you like to be treated by your candidate or client. So that's the reason. It was a bit contrived why I wanted to ask that question. I I mean, we could carry on all day, but we all have jobs to do. <laughs> so I can't thank you both enough. This has been the most gorgeous dynamic, and we need to do this again. When we'll maybe do it again on one of your shows, possibly. absolutely let's do it so obviously we'll make sure everybody's contact details podcast information wishing you both the most wonderfully prosperous and healthy and happy and joyful 2024 and beyond thank you both so much for joining me on the recruiters recruitment podcast thank you for my absolute pleasure the recruiters recruitment podcast is thrilled to be partnering with inclusion crowd Inclusion Crowd put the D into diversity, but do it disruptively. We love that. Really reflecting what we're about. I was introduced to Inclusion Crowd back in 2020, and I've been absolutely blown away with what they're doing to totally transform the recruitment and hiring sector. They believe at Inclusion Crowd that companies should be reflective of society. And that no matter who you are listening now, you have a story to tell. You have a contribution to make. An inclusion crowd educates you in allowing your voice to come out and share that story, but doing it in a way that educates your colleagues and your customers equally. Inclusion crowd, like the Recruiters Recruitment podcast, has clients all over the world. 
and they specialize in our industry. What we all want to do together is to maintain best practice and to raise industry standards to enable us to attract and retain the best talent, but doing so inclusively and with true diversity. By doing this, by accomplishing a true EDI policy within your business, you will also retain the top talent as well as attract new talent, which is a win-win for everybody listening, making more profitable business and a much better industry, higher regard, highly regarded. Inclusion Crowd are also the official awarding body for the Inclusion and Diversity Certification Mark within recruitment. We are so proud to be assisting and partnering Inclusion Crowd. If you want to know more information, please click on the link in this episode and remember to mention the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast when you do so. Now, back to the episode. We are so proud to be partners of Needy, the gifting revolution. Here at Key Recruitment, we absolutely love to send out bespoke gifts to our new place candidates to welcome them in their new jobs, but also as an extra special thank you to clients or when a team is celebrating something really special. But to be honest, we were really fed up with dull or mediocre gifts that you could just buy on the high street that didn't really reflect who we are at Key Recruitment as a business. This is why we chose Needy. Needy source sustainably from the UK's best independent businesses, offering the most perfect array of bespoke gifts and experiences too. So no more boring bottles of plonk or rubbish boxes of chocolates. This is how you make your customers day with a gift that really matters and shows that you really want to do something special for them. For more information on how psychology and AI forming to make the best gift experience for you, click on the link and remember to mention the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast when ordering. Now, back to the episode. 